Um, yeah, so I'm Joe, and most of you will know me, but in case you don't, I'm doing a, a year's internship here called ID, which involves, I, I, you know, I go through weekly teaching, and I, I serve the church in many different ways, like, oh, hello, like evangelism, um, and, and stuff with the youth, and I do this, and lots of different stuff across the board. And I'm preaching today, you know, Joshua series, taking ground, and I'm preaching on Joshua 8, 30 to 35. Before I read it out, I'm just going to give us a quick tour of where we've been before because the context of where we've been beforehand is really important to see what's happening here because it's, it's, it's all about the renewing of the covenant between God's people and God himself. And so we need to know what the journey's been like for them so far. So I'm going to start off all the way. All the, I'm going to try just go through, you know, hundreds of years in the next two minutes. Um, but we start off with Abraham and Abraham couldn't have kids because... His, his wife, Sarah, couldn't have any kids, but God said to him in Genesis 15, he said, your, your offspring are going to be like the number of the stars. You're not going to be able to count them. And Abraham trusted God with that because he knew that he couldn't have kids, but he trusted that God would supply him with a child. And then, for a miracle, Abraham then had Isaac through Sarah. God gave him that child. And then Isaac gave birth to Jacob. Can you not? Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob then had 12 sons, and, and God called Jacob, he gave him another name called Israel. That's where the nation of Israel comes from, it comes from Jacob. And then the 12 tribes, 12 sons of Israel. And then there's hundreds of years pass, and earlier on, when God was speaking to Abraham, he said, your, your offspring are going to receive heavy affliction, they're going to, see if, you know, they're going to be really afflicted, and they're going to go through slavery... But in the 14th generation, they're going to come back into the land that you're in now. And so that was happening. We got to the, you know, the start of Exodus, and the Israelites are receiving heavy affliction from the Egyptians. And they are enslaved. But God raises up Moses, and he uses Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and towards the promised land. And they go through the wilderness for about 40 years. And then Moses dies, and now we're at the start of Joshua, and Joshua's commissioned to lead Israel. And then they send spies out into the land, where Rahab the prostitute hides them. She hides people so that they avoid capture. They go back to the camp and they, you know, tell them all the spy stuff. And then they need to get through the Jordan, so God splits the Jordan for them to walk through so that everyone can walk through towards Jericho, and then God instructs them on, on how to proceed in overcoming Jericho. He says, I've given them into your hands, now go do this. They did what he said, they overcame Jericho, and the land was theirs. And the thing about Jericho is God said, everything's, you know, all these things are to be devoted to me. The gold, the silver, the copper, all of these different things. It's all to be devoted to me. And... Achan, who was part of Israel, disobeyed God and he took some of the things that were devoted to God and it says that the, the anger of the Lord burned up against them. Then they were going to go and overcome Ai and Joshua sent about 3,000 men to overcome Ai but because of the disobedience of Achan, they, they lost, they were defeated. It says about 36 of their men died and they had to flee from Ai. Achan has been killed because of the disobedience that he did. The, the problem was solved, they obeyed God in that. And then God said, go, I've given Ai now into your hand. Go and overcome them now. They obeyed God, they went over, they overcame Ai. 
And it's almost like it's been a really steady line up from here. It's been a really steady storyline. We've seen kind of how each thing has consecutively happened. It's been a pretty steady and constant storyline. And then we're just, it's like if it's a movie, we're just completely taken to another scene altogether. Because it just is going, it's going and going, and then completely, without any context, we're just taken to this whole other place where something completely new is happening. And we're taken to the renewal of the covenant. So I'll read the verses now. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Abar. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and their officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Abal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So we're seeing here the, the renewal of the covenant. And in order to know what this passage is talking about, we need to know what a covenant actually is. And a covenant is a covenant is a promise of an ongoing relationship between two parties. A promise of an ongoing relationship between two parties. And we don't see many modern day examples of covenants, but one that we do see all the time is marriage. Marriage, when you enter into a marriage with someone, you, you enter into, an, into a marriage covenant with them. You're saying, you're promising to, to be in an ongoing relationship, a lifelong one. And yeah, you're going into a relationship between two parties, and you're, you're, it's a promise that you're going to be together forever. And there are many covenants throughout the Bible, for example, the Abrahamic covenant or the Davidic covenant. The one that's most familiar to us would be the new covenant um, that Jesus brought with him. But this one here, we're talking about the Mosaic covenant, and it's also called the Sinai covenant. And it's really important what Joshua said here about, he read, he read out the blessing and the curse. And the blessing and the curse is something that's really simple and easy to understand. It, meant, it was conditional. A lot of the other covenants were unconditional. Like the one that God made with Abraham, where he said your offspring is going to be like the number of stars. It was, it was unconditional. That's going to happen. That's God's promise. No conditions. But this one with Moses, and in this case, you know, they're reading out to all the Israelites when Joshua's reading out, the blessing and the curse is conditional. And the conditions were obedience led to blessing, and disobedience led to, to cursing or to, to punishment. And it's really fitting that Joshua read out the blessing and the curse because we just saw both sides of the coin. We saw in chapter 7 the disobedience where Achan stole what was devoted to the Lord to keep for himself. And then we saw the curse, we saw the punishment. And then we saw obedience in the way that was dealt with and we saw obedience in the way that they then went to overcome Ai at the beginning of chapter 8. And then we see the blessing, because God said, you, you, you can keep all the things to yourselves. Nothing's devoted to me. You can keep all this world for yourselves. So we've seen it literally play out with the disobedience leading to the curse and the obedience leading to the blessing. And there isn't much reason 
for these five verses to be here in particular. Some commentators would say that they're not actually in the right place. But I think what the writer is trying to get across is that Israel's success isn't based on their fighting ability against the Canaanites. Because we've just seen them defeated and then we've seen them win. And the only difference between those two times was that they, they disobeyed God's word and they obeyed God's word. And so I think what the writer is trying to get across is that, yeah, like I say, it's not based on their ability to fight. It's based on their ability to follow and obey the word of God. Israel's chapter, uh, defeat in chapter 7 tells us that heeding God's word and instruction is more crucial than fighting God's war. Because when they disobeyed, they lost, and when they obeyed, they won. And I think that's still true to us today. It's still true that obeying God's word is more important than fighting God's war. Because if I'm going out, serving the kingdom, getting really involved with church, doing all of these different things, but secretly, behind the scene, I'm living a completely different life in opposition to God. I'm not going to be bearing any fruit. I'm going to be living in opposition to God still because Jesus told us that a bad tree can't bear good fruit. So it's still true that we need to be putting first in our priorities, obeying the word of God. There's that verse in, in Matthew, scary one, where they say, you know, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? And Jesus said, I don't know you. So they didn't, you know, I think they obeyed him. And Joshua also emphasises throughout this all. Between verses 33 and 35, Joshua used the word all five times. So he's pretty set on it. He's set on it. It was all the law for all of the people. It wasn't some of the law, some in part, only for some of the people, only the really high, holy, Levitical priests. It was for, it was for all the people and it was all the word. You know, we, we hear stuff today like, you know, that, you know, the time is different now. It doesn't actually apply. It's not applicable to us or... Or, you know, that's not really what it meant. Or you get people saying, it's okay if I do this, it's not that, as, you know, it's not that bad. I can, I can do it a little bit, it's fine. But no, Joshua was saying to Israel, all of the law, all of the word of God is for all of the people. It's not just for some and, and, and for others, it's, it's for everyone. And so this was really significant. They weren't just guidelines, but they were, they were something to shape our lives around. The word of God is something to shape our lives around. And, and you do see today as well, among other people, where they, they don't shape their lives around the word of God, but they use the word of God and shape it around their lives. They're like, well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, but you know, it, it says this, it doesn't clearly say this, so I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. But no, we need to shape our lives around the word of, word, word of God. It must be our first priority. So it's significant because the people of God have just been through this whole encounter with God of receiving punishment and receiving blessing, and now they're renewing the covenant with him. They're dedicating themselves. They're recommitting and re-establishing their relationship with him. And this renewal also serves as a witness of God's faithfulness. Not only because he stuck with them despite them turning, despite them turning their backs to him. He's faithful because... If we look at where it was held, it was, it was held at somewhere called Shechem, I think. I'm not great with these words, but it's Shechem. And we know that because of where Mount Abar and Mount Gerizim were. And Shechem was in the middle, and it describes where they were in, in response to this. And it's really, really significant, that location, because here, Abraham first received the promise of the land. And here, Jacob returns safely after a long exile from the land he had been promised. And now, in Joshua 8, we are seeing Abraham's seed and Jacob's family experiencing the fulfilment of God's promise of the land. So through the location, we are told of God's faithfulness, that although he promised something hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we're now seeing the fulfilment of that. 
I think some, some of us might feel like God's promised us things and we're like, God, what's going on? Why is this not happening yet? Why is this not going on right now? Because we feel like God said that this, this stuff's going to happen for us. But the thing is, with the, with the Israelites, they knew of the promise. They would have heard of the promises of the promised land. Yeah, they would have gone through slavery. They would have gone through trials, going through the wilderness. You know, they were... Half the time, Moses was performing amazing miracles, and they still didn't trust him. They said, have you, have you led us here to die? Have you led us out of Egypt to just die? Moses couldn't go up with a mountain, up of a mountain, without them worshipping other gods and being unfaithful. God is so faithful, even when we're unfaithful. Israel was so unfaithful. And, and I've had it in my life, where I've, I've, I've grown up in church, and obviously I'm here now. But in between that, I've had times when I've been unfaithful to God, where I haven't been following him, I have been living in opposition to him, and where he just, he just started breaking through in my life, and I was still just living in my sin, I was still living just in, a, in a messed up way. And there was one time where I really, 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 really messed up, and I was so unfaithful to God. And I didn't, I just couldn't look at God, I could not, it's just I could not bring myself to look at him or talk to him. Not because I was worried about his condemnation upon me, but only because I knew that he wanted to forgive me, show mercy to me, show his grace to me, and just help me turn back to him. That's why I couldn't look at him, because I was like, Lord, I just don't deserve this. Because he's so faithful, even when we're unfaithful. God promised the land, and it took a while, and the people went through some real hardships. But God's promises are never broken, they're always fulfilled. We see a beautiful image of God's fulfilled promise and the people renewing their relationship with him, even when we've, they've gone against him, they've gone through such trials, generations and generations and generations, going against God, coming back to God, going against God, but here, they're standing and saying, we're recommitting ourselves to you. And everything here points us to Jesus. Like I, I was thinking about this, and I didn't want to just, because obviously you always want to preach about Jesus, I didn't want to then miss out the actual text, but actually it's so about Jesus that I can't preach him without preaching the text. Because remember earlier I said how this covenant was conditional. It was a conditional covenant between the people of God and God himself. And I just want to read out this quote. It says, It was to serve as a temporary supervisor, teaching the righteous standards of God, as we as humans can't live up to it. And it also revealed human sinfulness when we were able to keep up with his law. So this, this law, this Mosaic covenant, the blessing and the curse, showed us that we can't live up to God's standards because they're so high and we're so low. And so scripture is already pointing us, crying out to us, telling us of our need of a saviour. Someone to come and save us because we're just going to receive curse after curse after curse because of our disobedience. We need someone to save us. We need a sacrifice. And it directly points us to Jesus. And the covenant was temporary. The people just before when Jesus came were still having to obey this Mosaic covenant and all the laws that came with it. Everyone had to follow up follow the law of Moses up until Jesus came and fulfilled every single requirement of it on our behalf. He carried it out. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. He said, I haven't come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. And to fulfill something means to carry it out. It means to carry out the law on our behalf. So that when we could not carry it out, when he died, he did it on our behalf. So it's directly pointing us to Jesus. The law shows us our need of a saviour. And in Galatians 3, 10 to 14, 
it says to us. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Paul is literally talking about this. He's talking about when the, this law was first read out in Deuteronomy. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Jesus Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through Christ. So he literally became a curse for us. We, we're cursed because of our disobedience. We, we can't obey God because we're just so sinful in our nature and God is so righteous. We're always falling. We're always falling short of the glory of God. But what Jesus did when he came was he became a curse. I, I, I love the verse that you know, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He took the curse. He became a curse so that when we're disobedient towards God, we have grace and we have mercy and we can receive the blessing of Abraham. And so we're no longer cursed by our disobedience, but we are called to repentance. We're called to come before God and we're called to repent. And, and turn, repent literally means to turn away from something. It means to turn from our sin and turn towards God. Jesus endured the wrath of God for us. He became a curse. He became sin so that we could be set free. And in 1 John 1 9 it says, it says, I have this memorized. Yes. For if we can confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we're no longer held by the law. We can now walk in freedom in Jesus because he became a curse, because he gave us grace. And we can now come before him and we can say, Lord, I'm so sorry, I need to turn from this. Would you help me? Would you empower me? We, we now have this, the, the, the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so we can say, Lord, I've done this. I've fallen in this way. I need to turn from my sin. I need to turn towards you. I need your grace. You're faithful always, even when I'm unfaithful, and you're just to forgive me over, over everything. And so, if that's the first time you're hearing that, and you want to come and you want to give your life to Jesus, and you want to say, yeah, he paid that cross for me, he was a curse on my behalf, I'm no longer held, though I, though I sin, though I make all of the wrong decisions, I'm no longer held by that, but I can walk in freedom through grace because he became a curse. If you want to do that and you want to commit yourself to him, then please, when we respond, do it, and you can get someone to pray with you. And if you want to recommit yourself, if you want to renew your relationship with God, like the Israelites did with God, after their disobedience, after all that they went through, they came before God and they renewed their covenant with him. And they said, God, amen, we're going to follow you, we're going to stick to your law, we're agreeing to do this. If you want to come before God and say, I want to stick to your new law, I want to obey your new law, the new covenant that you've given us, that we can be forgiven when we repent. And come do that. And if you feel like God's been nudging you about something that you need to repent for, and you're thinking, oh God, you know, I, I, I deserve the curse, I deserve your punishment, I deserve your wrath, 
And you, you, know, you might feel like I did, where I was like, I cannot look at God right now. But he just wants to forgive you, he wants to show grace to you, and he wants to help you and empower you through his spirit. If there's been something that you really feel or call to repentance to, and you want to come and do that, then, then come and do that when we respond. I'm going to pray, and then we can go back into some worship. So yeah, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that it guides us to you, Lord, that it shows us you and who you are, Lord. Thank you that all the way in Joshua 8, it was already pointing us towards our need of a saviour, Lord. We're inevitably sinful. We need your saving. We need your saving grace. We need your sacrifice, Lord. And you did it because you so loved the world, even when we were unfaithful to you, Lord. Lord, I, I love you so much. I thank you for your sacrifice. I pray, Lord, would you speak to us as we go back into the worship? Would you speak to us? Would you stir us more and more and more, like the prophetic words beforehand, stirring us up to worship towards you, Lord? Would we remember your sacrifice? It all points to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.